0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here am I, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But he answered his father Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home you kill the fattened calf for him My son, the father said You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's uh, pray together. Now, Father, we uh, do want to indeed echo what we've been singing as a prayer that we would indeed be, uh, be shown uh, Christ, be indeed shown your character in a way that perhaps we've never seen it before. And we pray that the result would be that we would live lives that uh, confess the Lord Jesus, uh, lives and lips, in Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit down. Well, let me encourage you to turn back uh, in your Bibles to the reading that um, Mark read for us. Mark, uh, Luke chapter 15, page 1048 is the page number as we continue to look through these uh, purple passages in Luke's Gospel. There are are not many things in life uh, more heart-wrenching than the breakdown of precious relationships. Sometimes it happens in one almighty row. In a marriage, it might be the discovery of an adulterous affair, In an ordinary friendship, it might be some other kind of dispute that that sees tempers flare. Whatever the precise details, the relationship is broken in one explosive moment as one person tells another, I never want to see you again. Get out and don't come back. Suddenly, a devastatingly, a precious loving relationship has ended, leaving an aching void and an emotional pain that feels as if your insides have been ripped out. And then sometimes relationships just drift apart. There's no raised voices, no crisis moment. A wife will say, I just don't love him anymore. Or a friend will say, we don't talk anymore. It's been months since we saw each other. There was no big row, but the relationship has ended and it hurts all the same. Well, in Luke chapter 15, we find arguably the most famous story Jesus ever told, and it's a story about broken relationships, and ultimately about one broken relationship, the relationship with our our creator. It's a family story. It's about a father who had two sons, and as Jesus tells the story, it becomes obvious that the father in the story is like God. Now, I don't know what your view of God is, but if it's like many people I speak to, this will turn your your understanding upside down because this story tells us that God is for us, that he loves us and invites us back, whether we've stormed out of relationship with him or if our relationship with him has just drifted and we simply don't have anything to do with him anymore. Jesus was prompted to tell this story when a group of religious people disapproved of the company that Jesus was keeping. Look back with me to verse 1 of chapter 15, the very beginning of the chapter. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Here then are two groups of people. We might call them the sinners and the saints. And the two sons in the story that Jesus tells represent these two groups of people. The younger son is those in verse one, the tax collectors and sinners who'd gathered to listen to Jesus. They were, without putting too fine a point on it, the scum of society. With no intended comparison to those who work for the inland revenue today, the tax collectors of Jesus' day were corrupt. They collaborated with the detested occupying Roman army. The rest of the sinners, well, from the people Jesus hung out with, we can assume they were prostitutes, or rogue traders, cowboy builders, drug addicts. In a sentence, the younger son in the story represents the sort of people that we wouldn't want having living next door to us. And the older son? Well, he represents the group in chapter 15, verse 2. The Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, religious and respectable people. People like you and me on the whole, I guess. And with those two groups before us, uh, as Jesus tells this parable, he intends all of us to see ourselves in the story. Uh, A few years ago, I came across a a letter in uh, in a letters page in a national newspaper. It was written by somebody called Tony Rigby from Buckinghamshire. Sir, You report that Barclays Bank is being forced to review its onerous identification requirements. This brings back a happy memory from my days with Barclays when, as a cashier, I had to ask an elderly customer if she could identify herself. She rummaged in her handbag, uh, produced a mirror, (laughs) and she said, yes, young man, that is definitely me. (laughs) He goes on to say, I cashed her cheque. Now, as we read this parable, Jesus is asking, can you identify yourself? And as we look at these two sons, which one best represents you and me? First, there's the younger son, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Uh, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The younger son wants to cut loose. Dad, he says, you know that life insurance policy? I'd like my share now. And his dad explained, well, son, I'd like to give it to you now, but those things only mature when I'm dead. Yes, dad, you've got the point. Dad, I'd like it now because dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying here. Dad, I want your things, but I don't want you. And of course, that is the way a lot of people treat God. They want all the good gifts God gives them. Food, fun, friendship, son, snow sports and sex life is full of good things all coming from the hand of god and the younger son wants the good things that the father has but he doesn't want the father it's summed up in just two words in verse 12 give me do you see it there just give me if we're looking to identify ourselves in the story that was me as a 19 year old Just before I left home to move into my own flat, I remember my mum saying to me, you treat this house like a hotel. And she was right. She must have said it a hundred times before, but that day it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had all my meals cooked for me, the washing done for me. I enjoyed the comfort of the family home. I watched the TV. I had free use of the telephone. I benefited from the central heating and the carpets. But because I had an active social life, I flew in and flew out of the home, barely spending any time with my mum and dad enjoying all the things they gave me but not spending any time with them and that's just not right it's not right to treat other people like that and it's not right to treat god like that either but that's what the youngest son in the parable is doing give me verse 12 that's his motto for life and that's how he treated his father give me so that i can go and do my own thing and so in one devastating conversation the relationship was ended He's like so many who say to God, I don't need you. I'll run my life my own way, get off my case. And he would have felt so great that day. Can you see him in your mind's eye walking down the drive? His share of the insurance policy now, a great wad of money in his back pocket. He's cutting loose and he's gonna live it up a little. No, no, he's gonna live it up a lot. He's off for wild living, as it says at the end of verse 13. No more having to be in by midnight. No more stupid rules and restrictions. He's off to have a ball. And so as he walks down the driveway, he's free. As I've spoken to people over the years, that's exactly what they want. That sense of freedom, of not wanting anything to do with a God who who restricts them. As one guy put it, God's always telling me what I can't do. Thou shalt not do this, that or the other. It's the feeling that God's out to ruin life, take all the fun out of life, cramp my style. That's never been a problem for me. I've never had any style, but but you know the feeling. Anyway, that's the younger son, and now he's cut loose. He's got his freedom, and end of verse 13, he's gonna make the very most of it in wild living. He's getting what every young man dreams about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the party life, and it was good. The Bible never, never denies that wild living is fun, or can be for a time. That's how it was for this young man. It was fun until the money dried up. And then, having squandered his wealth and the recession hitting, he was alone and in need, we read verse 14. After he'd spent everything, there was a, a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to, his, feed, to his fields to feed pigs. Now, feeding pigs is a pretty mucky business in the best of times. But while we might argue that it is a job and he could have done worse, be sure the first hearers of this story wouldn't have thought like that. They would have been disgusted. They were Jewish. Remember, the Jews don't eat pork, won't even have anything to do with pigs. So to hire yourself to do that work was to live in a pigsty in every meaning of the word. And this week I've been trying to think, what would, what would have the same shock value for us today? I don't know, is it, is it the person who'd be willing to work for a paedophile running a child pornography website? Is that it? That's the depth that the younger son has reached. His situation is utterly degrading and disgusting. And on top of it all, he's hungry and lonely. Verse 16, he was so hungry he wanted to eat the pig food. And you see that at the end of verse 16, but no one gave him anything. He doesn't have a friend in the world he's utterly alone he's discovered the cruel truth that people are takers not givers once the money was gone the friends were gone too i think of the summer of 1990 i worked in new york city in the big apple for a summer i was working with the homeless most were drug addicts i met one guy he he was known as big james well you see his name was james and he was very big so they called him big james he'd been a session musician played on a whole host of hit albums and he was very wealthy lived the high life hobnobbing with anyone who was anyone people wanted to hang around with big james he was cool and then the drugs got a hold and to cut a long story short he lost everything his manhattan apartment went he was uh, so often stoned out of his mind he couldn't do his job anymore he just didn't turn up for things so the money ran out but his habit needed feeding And as he told me how his life had unraveled, he said to me, and Paul, all the friends I thought I had were now nowhere to be seen. Once the money went, the friends went with it. That's what the younger son discovered. He was hungry, lonely, and working in a pigsty. But verse 17, do you see it there? It brought him to his senses. He came to his senses. Sometimes it takes living the wildlife to discover that it doesn't deliver. Sometimes it takes being at rock bottom to discover that the life independent of God isn't all it's cracked up to be. Certainly being destitute is a pretty loud wake-up call. So he came to his senses. He saw the mess he'd made of life and most importantly of all, he came to his senses about his father. And here's the thing, he began to see what he'd left behind Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'm starving to death. His lifestyle was killing him, literally. And he thought of home. Home where he was loved and accepted. Home where even his father's employees were better off than him. And so he did something that is so very difficult to do. He swallowed his pride. He says, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say I'm sorry. That's verse 18. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. There's just two words, but we find them so hard to say. I'm sorry. When when we were at a church in London, Caroline and I ran the marriage prep course for a while. And and when we did that, we told couples who were preparing for marriage that there were two phrases they needed to learn and to say often to each other. Now, if you're married here today and if you're sitting next to your spouse, um, as I say these two phrases, will you please keep your elbows in? I don't want to see elbows flying left and right as I say this, okay? So elbows in. And here we go the two phrases that are so crucial in marriage are the first is to say I'm sorry I was wrong and the second phrase is response that's okay I love you. I'm sorry I was wrong that's okay I love you. Now put like that it doesn't seem so difficult but we all know how much those words stick in our throat. It's so hard to admit that we're wrong but that's exactly how the Christian life begins. And so we see this youngest son rehearsing what's going on, uh, what he's going to say when he gets home. There he is in verses 18 and 19, walking up and down the pigsty, rehearsing this little speech. Dad, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. He's picturing himself turning up at the doorstep, not having been in touch with his father since that fateful day when he walked out, The day when he told his father to get lost, to, to, to wish he was dead. He imagines seeing his father again and giving this little speech. Verse 18, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He's rehearsing it. And so he headed for home, verse 20. And as he does, we come to the very heart of the story. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. See, so far the story's been all about the younger son. Now the father is centre stage. And isn't this wonderful? The younger son is on his way home, but while he's still a long way from home, do you see the most fantastic welcome that he gets? And crucially, do you see what doesn't happen? We don't see the father standing on the porch, arms crossed, face like a bulldog chewing a wasp, saying, this better be good, this better be good. And he doesn't say, I told you so, but you wouldn't listen. And doesn't stand there grumbling to his wife, oh, I've been waiting for this day for a long time. And after the way you've treated me, I'm going to make him grovel. I'm going to make this boy really squirm after all the heartache he's put us through. No, there's, there's none of that. What does he do, verse 20? The father sees his son, runs down the path, cuts across the field, sees a gap in the hedge, grabs his son and smothers him with hugs and kisses he's been waiting for this day for so long not so that he can tear him off a strip but because he wants him home and i love verse 21 the youngest son starts his rehearsed speech father i've sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but he only gets halfway through the speech The full speech is in verses 18 and 19, but the son doesn't get to finish it. The son says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And before he can finish his words, the father says, that's okay, I love you. Verse 22, the father turned to his servants and says, bring the robe, a sign of honour. Put a ring on his finger, a sign of authority. Put sandals on his feet, a sign of being back in the family. So the son instantly has been completely accepted and the father is so pleased he throws a party that's verse 23 bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found and so they began to celebrate let me ask you if you grasp this about the father he doesn't treat us as we deserve He doesn't say this better be good. He doesn't make us grovel. He doesn't grind our faces in the dirt. He's so generous to us. He rejoices to have us back, whatever we've done. This is outrageous kindness. And for anyone who knows they've stormed out and turned their back on God, it's the most wonderful thing to hear. He can't wait for you to come back, and He'll accept you unconditionally there's no probationary period the moment he came back to the father he was accepted into the family it's the most brilliant news to hear if you're like the younger son but despite it being the most wonderful news for some for others this angers them verse 25 meanwhile the older son was in the field But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The older son is livid. How can the father treat the younger son like that? How can the father welcome him back? And when I tell people the Christian gospel, I meet many people like the older brother. Many people who hate it that the younger son those who've gone far away can be welcomed back and accepted. Remember, the older brother represents the people in verse 2, religious and respectable people. And they hate it that God will forgive and accept people like the younger son. They think it's not fair. Look again at the, word, the words of the older son in verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I'm a good person. I've never done anybody any wrong. I've never been in trouble with the police. I've always worked hard, always paid my taxes. I'm a good citizen. And what have you ever given me, God? But, verse 30, when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, and he comes home you kill the fattened calf for him did you see the great surprise in the story the oldest son is a fine upstanding moralist he's joined the family firm he's hard working he's slaved away from the comfort the company he's always around his father and remember in the story the father represents god so he's the sort you'd expect to find at church never misses on a sunday on the outside he's very different from his brother he's not like his brother but here's the thing he's nothing like his father either when the younger son returns the father's glad and the brother's angry the father greets him with open arms and the brother meets him with clenched fists the father embraces the younger son, calling him "my son." The older brother refers to him, verse thirty, as "this son of yours." Can't even bring himself to call him "my brother." So, do you see? On the outside, this older brother looks like a model of self of selflessness, of unselfishness, until his guard slips he seems like a good person but verse 29 all he can think about is himself in just that one verse in verse 29 he uses the word i me or mine four times this is how one person describes the situation the older brother contrived without leaving home to be as far away from his father as ever his brother was in the pigsty Is that good I'll read that again. The older brother contrived without leaving home to be as far away from his father as ever his brother was in the pigsty. And that's the point. He's around his father all the time, but he has no love for him. You see, that's how often it is with respectable people, religious people. People like you and me. We can look so nice on the outside yet have no love for God at all knowing nothing of a loving, ongoing relationship with the father. And so on the outside, these two sons could not look more different, but on the inside, in relationship to the father, they're both the same. They are both miles away from God. See, if you want to think about God or Christianity in terms of religion, these two sons are very different. But if you think about God in terms of relationship, and of course that is how Jesus tells us we ought to think about him, if we think about God in terms of relationship, these sons are very similar. Yes, one is religious, the other is not. One's respectable, the other is not. But they're both out of relationship with their father. One's had an almighty round and of stormed off. The other just drifted away from the father. But they're both out of relationship with God. But just as the younger son is welcomed back, did you notice verse 28? Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. Once again, we see what a wonderful God we have. God pleads with us to come in to be part of the family. That's how much he he wants you, how much he loves you. So what about you and me? See, as Jesus uh, tells this story, he asks, can you identify yourself? I expect you know if you're like the younger son, you've openly lived a life of rebellion against God. If that's you, thank you very much for coming this morning. And please hear that this God is ready to welcome you back. And for the rest, can we see ourselves in the older brother? Well, you describe yourself as a decent person. Even if you're not especially religious, you'd say that you believe that God exists and that you think the world would be a better place if everyone lived a decent life. But for all that, when it comes to God, well, may I put it this way, your relationship with God is more like a frigid marriage than a love story. If that's you, then know that your heavenly father is pleading with you to come into the family. Will you do that this morning? Well, my time has gone, so finally let me point out, this is a A wonderful story, but I wonder if you notice it has no ending. We don't know if the older son ever went into the party. We don't know what happened to the younger son. It's tantalizing. Was this a flash in the pan or did he stay with it? And the reason Jesus doesn't end the story is because we're meant to, you and I. Having identified ourselves as one of the sons, we're meant to end the story by writing our own ending and I guess there'll be some here this morning saying, I can't end the story, I don't have enough information, I need to know more about Christianity. Yes, I like what I'm hearing, but I I, I don't know whether it's true. Well, let me say to you, I'm gonna be standing on the door and I've got some booklets like this, and if that's you, just take one from me so you can find out some more. Some of you need more time to think about this, but there'll be some here who know it's time to come home, As I've been speaking this morning, it's been as if your heavenly father has been speaking directly to you. Let me ask you, why don't you come home this morning? For you too, take a booklet from me and find out in this booklet how you can come home. Well, let's pray together. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for this uh, wonderful story, this story that is so much more than a, a story, a story um, that has so much truth, telling us gloriously what you are like. We thank you that you are this uh, generous, forgiving, accepting God. We thank you that because of the death of the Lord Jesus, you can, you can welcome us back And we do pray that for all of us this morning, whether we've known this for many years or whether we're just grasping it for the first time, we would be overwhelmed by your remarkable love for us. And that we would be, wherever we're standing, running back into the Father's arms this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.